Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey, good morning and happy election day 2020, Solar Warriors. If you missed the final of our Solar Power International weekly roundups, then you missed a fantastic video live chat. We were having a whole bunch of fun last Friday, so we're going to replay it here for you. The Industry Pulse segment with Brian Lynch and Julia Piper starts right about minute 33, and it is a not-to-miss segment, and it's followed by another very interesting conversation with Anne Gagliotti of Groundwork and Christian Roseland. So I hope that you, if nothing else, will jump to minute 45 and listen to those as they're very pertinent to today's election conversation, and I hope that you'll Enjoy this episode. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. All right, all right, here we go. It is week seven, week seven of the North America Smart Energy Week Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG. I'm missing somebody here. Josh, where'd you go? We gotta call up Hawaii here. There you hey. are. All right, large and in charge. Good How you to doing, see buddy? You, brother. Good, man, mahalo, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So glad to be here. Really excited. Got a star-studded lineup coming into this session. So yeah, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I, I'm a little melancholy, I got to be honest. It's been, a, it's been an interesting seven weeks. In the last seven weeks, not only have we done this show all week for seven weeks, but I moved from Mexico and set up in North Carolina, Glenda on our team, who my dear co-host for the first five weeks had a baby and is no longer... Uh, able to be here with us in person, uh, especially I was looking forward to having that live show with her. But on the on the other, the flip side, get to bring you in, man. It's just like last year, like we talked about last week. It's just like being back in the podcast lounge. So I'm getting all the feels again, and a little melancholy that this is the last <laughs> week. We're gonna we're gonna have to figure out how to set up the the. Uh, the happy hours and whatnot, and and really squeezed all the juice out of the the virtual trade show. But we'll get to that a little bit more when when Danielle comes on. What's up? What's shaking in Hawaii today? Well, I uh, actually got some rain out here, which is fantastic. And I live on catchment, so I'm glad to have water again. And uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things going on in in Maui and Hawaii. I mean, some great great new solar systems have been approved by the PUC, which we're pretty stoked about. Uh, Multi megawatt systems getting us a close to our 100% RPS. So you know, things are rocking and rolling as uh, as always. But uh, yeah, it's great to be here, man. I'm really excited about this show. Now, for those who are unfamiliar completely, you were maybe sent here by one of our guests today, and you're wondering what the heck's going on. We've been doing a weekly roundup for the last six weeks, this is the seventh, for North America Smart Energy Week, also known as SPI, ESI, EVI, so many I's, U's, and we's. My name is Nico Johnson. I'm the founder and creator of Suncast, the podcast, which is a product of Suncast Media. We sort of put all this together so that you all don't have to worry if you've missed something. We try to capture it for you. 
my compadre over here, Josh. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? All right. All right. So my name is Josh Porter. I'm the uh, uh, host and founder of Solar Coaster Radio Show. We've been doing hour-long uh, radio segments out here for the last almost four years, covering all things renewable energy, like I, I like to say, new energy economy. And uh, this uh, this past SPI session had an opportunity to do a Solar Coaster Live series. Uh, really fun, just kind of grabbed content that we thought would fit into all of the these new shows that we uh, we are seeing here, these new sub-shows, sub you know, hydrogen, wind, EV, everything. And yeah, had a great time doing it, 17 shows, which are all up on YouTube right now. Check them out, please. Amazing. Kudos to you guys, too. They were really, really informative, bite-sized chunks, uh, insights into what's happening along the way. Well, this uh, last weekly roundup is sure to please. So I want you to please stick around to the end. It's going to be about an hour today instead of 30 minutes. And I want to say, for all of you who are watching live, let us know in the comments where you're coming in from. Are you live in Madrid or California or Hawaii as Josh? Yeah, just type in where you're from and if you're watching live. And if you're watching as a replay, we're super grateful for you as well because we're recording this. It's going out on YouTube. It's going to be on LinkedIn. And we'd love to know if you, kept, if you jumped in in the replay. Just type replay in there. Now, if you have any questions at any time that you want to ask any of us on the show, you can type it in the comments and it'll get ported magically into our studio and we'll be able to even display it on screen, but we'll certainly be able to address it either ourselves or one of the guests. And we got a really, really cool lineup for you guys today. We're going to kick it off with not one, but two of our industry pulse segments. That's when my friend Brian Lynch from LG goes one-to-one with industry experts sussing out what's happening in the industry, where are the trends, and where are things headed. We're going to touch on a not-to-miss segment in that second industry pulse all about the election. And we've got four behind-the-scenes segments in the green room all about the EV connection, which was this week's theme, the final week of North America Smart Energy Week. Josh, what else we got going on? Uh, well, we got some great people here, and I hope we have an opportunity to uh, chat a little bit about, about the election. I'm certainly uh, interested in hearing some opinions there, for sure. Yeah, that's right. We got Ann Gagliotti and Christian Rosalind. We'll see if Christian's going to be able to join us. It's, uh, we're not quite sure yet, uh, but Julia Piper is going to join us. We're going to talk about the importance of your vote, what you can do in the last remaining three days, and why this is important for every one of us to be involved. And we'll wrap with a look forward with Danielle Danko from Solar Energy Trade Shows. What does the coming year look like for SPI, for regional shows? A lot of fun things. It's a whirlwind tour, and we're glad that you're here with us live. All right, we've got Brian, as I mentioned, standing by for our first Industry Pulse segment. Let's go now to Brian. Hey, Nico, how are you? I'm good, Brian. It's good to see you, brother. We're we're, we're we're doing what we can, man. This is the first time we've done it really, truly live. It's good to see you in person. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I feel like it's like the season finale, and they're trying to do the live thing instead of the, the scripted event. So this is, That's, this is fun to be a part of, and I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, and it's been great to have not only the partnership of LG, but to have you debuting in your own thought leadership platform where you get a chance to go toe-to-toe with some industry experts. I thought it would be fun today, if you're okay with it, for me to ask you a few questions. You good? I'll try. We'll see. I like the right, well, of the table. <laughs> well, why don't we start off really quickly by the way that you normally do, introduce yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so for those that don't know me, I'm Brian Lynch, been in the industry for a little over 15 years. 
uh, now have the honor and the privilege to work with LG Electronics Solar uh, Division, Energy Storage Division, and been here for about two years. And it's a great company, great products, great people. And we do fun things like this, which is amazing. Yeah, man. One of my favorite things about Brian Lynch is that there's a doppelganger Brian Lynch on the West Coast, and you guys must get confused so often. Um, It's spelled the exact same way as I recall. But uh, one of the questions that I wanted to just tap in for you, I know that you've been keeping up as much as you can uh, with this year's seven weeks of microconferences and the virtual trade show. Any big takeaways for you from the show? The big takeaway is Sets did an amazing job. They were thrown such a, a wild card and a variable when it moved from Anaheim to the, the parking lot in Las Vegas and now hundred percent virtual. Um, you know, it, it's tough and they, they did the best that they could um, really wanted to commend the sets team for rolling with the punches and putting on, in my opinion, a, a great conference. It of course had its little glitches here and there, but the net net is a lot of great content, a lot of great people. Um, but the core of it is, if there was any fear that we wouldn't get back together in person, I think that fear is unfounded because there's no substitute for being crammed in a building with 60,000 other solar geeks like me uh, running into people you haven't seen in a long time. Just the networking element that happens, the spontaneous running to someone at the lobby bar. It just didn't happen this year, and, and uh, I miss it, but I was really happy to get eight hours of sleep. Every night. For, right, right. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'll tell you, having just moved back home from Mexico, I am looking forward to the next SPI and hopefully another taco truck rodeo. Just saying, that's where I made a lot of my friends back at uh, previous SPIs. Well, one of the fun things that we did was this Industry Pulse segment. It's something that you and I collaborated on thinking about how do we actually pull out industry trends. I would imagine as the host, You've learned a lot as well. What have you internalized? What are your takeaways from six weeks of Industry Pulse? Yeah, so I had really, I was thinking about this before we started, Nico, and I had a great series of conversations with thought leaders like Mike Casey from Tiger.com and Ian LaCour from Baker Home Electric. Uh, last week was Ken Lachlan with uh, Impact Asset Management. I'm going to talk to Julia Piper in a little bit, which is, which is an amazing uh, kind of you're, confluence of I know all you're my starstruck today. I am starstruck. Um, but the, the key trend, whether it was, you know, Mike from the policy side or Ian really talking about residential solar and then last week with Ken, it's that there's an undeniable trend with solar. It doesn't matter what happens with the election. It doesn't matter what happens with pandemic. Solar is unstoppable, right? In the middle of these seven weeks, the IEA came out and said that solar is the lowest cost form of new energy generation. And yeah, policy really makes a meaningful difference into what we do and, and how fast the adoption curve is. But we should have the absolute confidence that we are in the right industry at the right time. And solar is unstoppable. Solar is unstoppable indeed. Uh, I am encouraged by not only the amazing insights that we learned from this segment, but also how I've seen you just come to light in uh, the way that you are able to do certain interview, uh, do your interview style. I hope that we can convince you to stick around for more industry polls now that all of the weekly roundup is over. But we don't have any more time for this segment today. Going to bid you adieu for a little while, Brian, while we go into the green room. But first, back to Josh at the studio, in the studio. We've got a segment that we do every week called the green room. The green room are our series of interviews with the thought leaders who were on panels throughout the week. And here is this week's Inside the Green Room coming straight at you. This week, 
we dive into electric vehicles and the EV connection. And in my world, at least in Suncast, the person who's brought a ton of value and I was so grateful to see was leading the very first conversation is my guest right here, Erica Myers, Principal of Transportation Electrification at Smart Electric Power Alliance. Erica, great to see you. Nice to see you too, Nico. Yeah. You led things off on Monday at 2 p.m. with considerations for crafting a comprehensive EV roadmap, something that you've got a lot of experience in. How would you summarize that conversation? It was a fantastic discussion. We had some of the best experts around the country who participated on that call. And I'd say the thing that we really connected was the audience, which we know is largely the solar, the storage, the grid modernization folks who attend North America Smart Energy Week. And we made it clear to them how this community is so essential to transportation electrification and that they need to be at the table developing these roadmaps in their states or regions to make sure that the solutions that they have will be available to support this transformation. Was, was there any contentious conversation or opposite sides of the coin that were expressed? I would say generally the, the whole group was very aligned that we do need to plan ahead. We absolutely have to have a plan in place in order to be able to bring on these electric vehicles to get all the benefits and none of the consequences. And so the best way to do that is to enlist lots of different stakeholders from around the communities and getting together to help educate legislators and other policymakers and regulators about what is going to be necessary in order to to smoothly transition into this future. And, And our number one takeaway, I think, was get involved now. Your solutions are important. They matter to the people who are involved in this. And so just educate yourself about what transportation electrification is and where your businesses can best align. Uh, Could you maybe get into some of the details that didn't get explored in the conversation about that level of self-education you just referenced? A lot of folks in the solar industry and the storage industry totally get it. EV and and the fleet electrification is, there's a logical nexus there, but how's that self-education meted out? So just like a lot of the folks who attended Solar Power International were really interested in learning more about energy storage three years ago, we're at that same place now with electric vehicles. And that's one of the reasons we launched Electric Vehicle International this year was to make sure that the folks who attended NAZU know and can appreciate and understand the nuances of this technology. It's really different. You know, one of the points that John Bossel from CalStart made on the, the, in the conversation was we all know what distributed energy resources are, but the people who are in the mobility sector have never heard of a, a DER. So we wow. have uh, two totally different industries who are now colliding and there's a lot of information exchange that needs to happen in order to be successful. So I would suggest to folks who are starting out in this industry, in addition to listening to the on-demand sessions that are posted through uh, the EV Connection, take a look at the Smart Electric Power Alliance resources at sepapower.org. We have a lot of great material there. And then there's also a lot of great material through the U.S. Department of Energy and the groups that, that joined us on the call, Rocky Mountain Institute and CalSTART. And I will selfishly say, you should also check out the episode that Erica had on Suncast. As a policy expert, how would you, Erica, uh, help us understand how to prioritize programs and policies that would fit into the roadmap that you all discussed? 
Yeah, so that's one area we didn't get into a lot of detail. You know, unfortunately, we only have about an hour, which is never enough time to really dive into these topics sufficiently. So I would have loved to have spent more time focusing on how to prioritize which programs and activities and policies to implement first in different states. And I like to think of it as a trajectory, right, as it's largely dependent on how many EVs you have in a specific area. And then you start from somewhere, you know, usually at the beginning stage, and then you ramp up into later stages. And having a roadmap that's flexible and intuitive about those changes, um, maybe incorporating things like stage gates, once we have a certain amount of penetration, then we launch these sorts of things, um, could be one way to go about addressing this really rapid evolving technology. Fantastic. Erica Myers is SEPA's resident EV expert, and it's no wonder why you were selected to lead this great discussion about the roadmap for a comprehensive EV integration here in North America. Erica, thank you for joining us again for the show. Well, thank you so much for having me as always, Nico. All right. We're ready to go with Tara Lynn Gray, president and CEO of the Fresno Metro Black Chamber of Commerce and Chamber Foundation. I got it. Tara, I got it. Welcome to our show. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Nico. <laughs> you are absolutely. We're having a good time because it's a Friday and we're enjoying the fact that we're wrapping North America Smart Energy Week. And sometimes things just don't come out easy, like this conversation for the panel that Tara and her esteemed panelists got to have. Yes, especially since I'm not in the solar industry. It, yeah. Exactly. Well, I think um, one of the reasons why we are involved in this is because our mission is to engage, educate, and empower our constituency. And um, we think that access to critical technologies and emerging markets is a part of that mission. And so as we watch the proliferation of EV programs that are sponsored by utilities and others, we want to make sure that there is equity in those conversations, in representation of where the dollars are spent. Um, it's not enough to just simply say that we're going to implement in disadvantaged or dis traditionally disinvested communities. If you're gonna implement properly, you've gotta connect with the folks that are indeed close to the ground in those communities. Uh, what else came from the conversation that you feel like a viewer that maybe missed out on this session really would want to go back and listen to? Well, I think the age and the income statistics of, you know, who's involved in the program speaks volumes about access and equity. Um, we're talking about folks over 35, and that is particularly interesting for our region because we have a very young population. We have about more than 60% of our folks that are less than 35. And so that means for our region that 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 is a significant number of folks that are being left out of conversation and left out of access. And I think overwhelmingly we see in our region that it's those under 35 that are really advocating for um, climate change realities and the reduction of GHGs and the implementation of green spaces and canopies and, and air quality monitoring and all 
all of those really positive climate change actions, they're being spearheaded by the very people who don't have access and aren't really using the program set up to advance those technologies. You said that part of the work that you do is helping ensure that utilities do what they said they're going to do. They put these programs together and are they, is there any accountability to a commitment to the standards that they set, part one? And then how do you follow the money? And is that money that pours into these programs and flows from them going out in a way that creates equity? I think that partnering with the utilities, which my organization does, um, is one of the ways that we can uh, get some accountability. I think what's tougher is ensuring that there's equity across the board in all of the programs. And let's be fair, in the state of California, we have the wildfires to deal with. And that in and of itself would be overwhelming for any organization, let alone the utilities. But having said that, I think that there is legislation. There there are some very clear guidelines in SB 535, AB 1550 here in California that speak to um, the inclusion of disadvantaged communities and populations, individuals and residents. And what we endeavor to do is just hold all of the organizations feet to the fire that if this is what the law says, this is what we want to see done in our community. I'm really grateful for your time as well, Tara Lynn Gregg, the president and CEO of the Fresno Metro Black Chamber of Commerce and Chamber Foundation. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Thank you, Nico, for having me. I appreciate it. And now we're off to Josh in the green room with David Schlossberg of NLX. All right. Thanks, Nico. And aloha and welcome to David Schlossberg, VP of Energy Markets Operations, E-Mobility, NLX. Uh, great to have you on board, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Now, there was a session this week, Triple Win Strategies for EV Charging, the customer, the market, and the grid. I kind of got a sense of what that means. Now, of course, Karen, who was in that session, wasn't able to join us today, so you're kind of filling in for her, but I understand you've got a pretty robust uh, background in this space. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, or unpack, I should say, that um, session name. What is this all about? From the way I look at it and and the way NLX looks at it, um, there are these opportunities to provide benefits to, to many different aspects of the EV value chain. So, uh, you know, we obviously work directly with customers who own EVs. We provide uh, most notably charging stations for people to use in the home, the business, municipalities, fleets, uh, corporations. And um, one of the great benefits that you see happening a lot these days is utilities want to be involved in that conversation and that engagement directly with the drivers. It's a great opportunity for them to improve their relationships with customers and be be that trusted advisor and provide benefits to EV drivers and also all participants on the grid. So the customer typically can benefit from uh, engaging with the utility to receive a charging station or to be incentivized to receive a charging station. That's great. It's it's buying down the upfront cost of going electric. It may not be the car, but it's everything that goes along with having an electric car, which can include having charging infrastructure, a charging station, if you will, that you can charge and charge fast and when you need it. Um, in addition, utilities go, you know, go much farther and they say, well, this, uh, electrified transportation, this consumption from the grid, if it's done at the right time, 
it actually is a benefit to everyone. And specifically, we want to encourage people to charge at the right time. And they can, you know, that can manifest through a, at a rate that you get from the utility directly, or maybe a sort of outside the rate credit um, that you could get on your bill or directly to you for charging at the right time. Just think about it as savings on your fuel. Those are direct benefits and wins for the customer because it's reducing their costs. For the utility and for the grid, um, they're actually reducing the cost to serve everyone on the grid. Um, They're doing this by using the grid when it's least utilized. So they're increasing use of their fixed costs, their fixed assets, like the wires and everything around on the road. Um, But also, you know, generation that might be sitting around that's inexpensive, but underutilized, uh, especially renewable energy. We and LX uh, just finished a a project with Hawaiian Electric and the Elemental Accelerator, uh, where we deployed 300 of our juice box smart chargers. Um, They were free of charge. Uh, Thank you to Environmental Accelerator. um, the, the accelerator, but um, we also engage customers in what we call our juice points program, which is basically a smart charging loyalty program. It's that, that discount off of your fuel to do the right things. And what we found was the, just the availability of this program that people know, Hey, I can get a, a level two smart charger. I can provide a benefit to the grid. Actually 22% of the participants said that it, it actually induced them to get either their first or their second electric vehicle. So there you see, not only did we get a good outcome from the grid, we got you know good outcomes for the customers. We actually got more people to go electric. Good outcome for the world and for the environment. So there's your triple win right there in your backyard. Very good stuff. I really appreciate uh, hearing about that. Let me ask you this. From the perspective of the overall U.S. Uh, market here, what are your expectations? Are you, are, do you have any read on the election? I, I mean, we did just have Biden say that, hey, the president's in charge of the largest truck fleet in the world uh, and we should own the EV market. So any guidance or discussion on that you'd like to share? Well, I, I don't want to speculate on the outcome of the election, um, so no one has heartburn. But I think what um, candidate Biden is referring to is that the, the federal government, its ability, its procurement power uh, is so great that if you know the federal government makes a decision to do something um, and drive its procurement in a certain way, it can actually move the market. It can drive um, scale, which can drive efficiency, which can drive down costs and get more adoption. So we, we saw that the federal government um, made a big push to encourage or utilize renewable energy on army bases around the U.S. Um, that, that drove large-scale renewables. And I think that there's an opportunity similarly on the fleet whether it's the post office uh, or other, you know, other fleets that the federal government manages and oversees. Very good. Well, thank you. This has been David Schlossberg, VP of Energy Markets Operations, e-mobility of NLX. Okay, back to you, uh, Nico, in the studio. Here we are for one more live in studio. We're going to want to uh, bring up our friend AJ Perkins. AJ is the president of Instant On a microgrid integrator and a fellow Hawaiian. Audio, audio. Got everybody. There we go. There's a, there we go. There's AJ. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Good to see you, brother. Welcome to the show. Good to see you. Thank you. You know, Thank you. AJ, this is our second time meeting in uh, in an SPI container. Great to see you again. You're an avid speaker and participant of SPI, SPI, and we'd love to hear your take on how this year's virtual conference came across for you. 
you know, it, it's it was really nice hearing Brian talk about, you know, some of the exciting things as well as the challenges with SPI not being live and, and the flexibility. And, I, you know, we got to acknowledge the white elephant of the fact that every I think everybody, all 60,000 participants, you know, miss being able to be in that one space together there's just so much energy and, and electrification let's call it you know by being together but you know just the amount of content the amount of things that you guys have been able to bring to us the spi has really put in front of the world let's call it, it that's the thing that excites me you know because it's hard i mean i you know i come from hawaii not all of my Hawaiians can get out to SPI, where no matter where it is, whether it's in San Diego or, or you know, um, in New Orleans, right? So it's 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 challenging, but the opportunity that we have to be able to view all of this stuff. I mean, we got we got to take the wins whenever we can, and this is global. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, AJ, uh, you're a big part of microgrid section, and it's been growing a lot over the last few years. What do you see coming in the upcoming period? You know, I, I remember I remember last year when we were in the microgrid section. I mean, we we felt like we were all the way out in Mars, right? I mean, it was just you know, it, I remember taking my my wife and my and her aunt, who's like seventy five years old, and you know, all of these people, you know, family members, and and all of these people that were there to to listen to AJ speak, right? And nice. I remember walking them to my booth, and I just was embarrassed thinking. My gosh, look at all of these guys that are respect. I mean, it was just amazing. And then we get to our place and it's it's crickets and it's like, oh, this is so cute. <laughs> but but when you look at the enormity of what microgrids have become in in the SPI world and the SPI family, I think everybody is recognizing that the microgrid section is really a piece of everything else. So the microgrid section is really the miniature SPI, let's call it. You know, I mean, you've got EVs, you know, you've got EV chargers, you've got so you've got all of these components. So, you know, what do I see? I mean, as a participant in the microgrid section, I'd like to see it right center and be a part of everything that we touch, because quite frankly, it is. So I, I definitely see the team at SBI and the SETS team really taking acknowledgement of that. And by bringing in, you know, a lot of these these participants to really showcase that opportunity. 100%. Yeah, there's definitely a plethora of information out here with uh, with all that. Is that good or bad? What are your thoughts? I mean, there's so much in the microgrid world. Well, I mean, the, the information obviously is, you know, they always talk about good info, bad info, good in, bad out, you know, all that type of stuff. You know, the one thing that I that I feel is that SPI gives me the ability to really vet technologies, mm -hmm. um, vet vendors, vet, you know, just all of these different things. So, so that's where being able to utilize SPI and the platform that SPI provides to say, you know, is this real? Is this just fluff, right? I mean, so many of us are talking about all of these crazy, you know, new innovations. I hate to say it, if it's at SPI, it really gives me an opportunity to say, let me at least dive a little bit deeper into it. So, yeah. so that's where to me, I mean, I hate to say it, but SPI is a good stepping point for the litmus test, let's say. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Whether it's there live and you can touch it, feel it, smell it, see, see what, see what it looks like on the inside. Well, oh, AJ, we're, we're all super hopeful that by this time next year, we'll be sort of relaxing and detoxing from an in-person SPI. 
we're going to talk a bit with Danielle in, uh, towards the end of the show about next year's SPI, but we're not quite done with all the virtual education platform yet. As I understand, you still have a few contributions yourself. What, are we, uh, what, are we, what can we look forward to from you as a contribution to the rest of the virtual trade show? So, you know, I I love the SPI and SETS team and all their partners because they, they truly reach out to each and every one of us as participants to say, hey, we'd like to get you more involved. Is that something that we can do together? And I mean, they really work hard to to integrate their participants into the actual show in and of itself. And, you know, so I've been fortunate to be able to speak at a lot of their events and and. You know, we definitely have a lot of opportunities to chat more throughout the year. I know the things that SETS and SPI has learned is that, you know, this information that we're putting out there is really important for the market as a whole, not just where they serve, but also the broader market and the global community looking for, for answers. So um, we definitely have some things teed up with, with the SPI team to be able to showcase more education, more knowledge to be able to create better questions to be asked of both their participants and those looking for more information. AJ, it's so good to see you again. I can't wait to get you inside of our podcast lounge at next year's SPI. And hopefully to see you at the eventual regional events that we do get to participate in together. That's it for us here in the green room. Now we're gonna go back into our industry pulse with Brian and the one and only Julia Piper. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Thank you, Nico. Uh, a guest that needs absolutely no introduction if you're a solar uh, advocate and, and longstanding member of the solar community, Julia Piper, uh, co-host, or excuse me, co-producer and host of the Political Climate Podcast. One of my favorite podcasts, uh, Nico's off screen so he can't kick me. Uh, it's right up there with Suncast. Julia, thanks Thanks for joining. Uh, for those that don't know Political Climate Podcast, how can people listen to it? How do they access it? Awesome. Well, let me just say you guys are the nicest people ever. I've never had so much praise. Uh, so making me feel good today. Thank you, guys. Uh, awesome to join you. Uh, yeah, so Political Climate, we are distributed by Green Tech Media, so you can find us there. Uh, we're also on, at politicalclimatepodcast.com, and you can go to at poly underscore climate on Twitter and find all our shows there. Just for background, we're supported by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. Really appreciate their support. And, you know, we don't compete with Suncast. We get wonky on the policy. He goes all in industry and, and, and beyond, but uh, room for everyone. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, if the folks that know me personally know that my two favorite topics of conversation are politics and solar. So uh, I'm a, a subscriber to the political climate podcast and highly recommend folks in the industry check it out because unfortunately this industry is all about policy and, and what we do is influenced by policy. I actually just voted. If you can see my sticker right before uh, we went live and as I was waiting in line, there was actually solar on the roof of, of my polling place. And it got me thinking about 
the election, obviously, that's, that's top of mind for everybody. But what does solar look like under a Trump versus a Biden administration? And clearly, there's subtleties to who controls the Senate and all sorts of you know different flowcharts that go from there. You had a very interesting conversation on your last political climate podcast. Um, but can you can you really provide an abridged version? What should we be looking for under a Trump or Biden administration as it relates to solar policy? Yeah, and we should remember that. Yeah, this this is not over till it's over. You know, pulls aside. So let's look at both scenarios. So yeah, I think I think the audience will know that Biden has a two trillion dollar clean energy plan. He's talked about calling for one hundred percent clean energy by twenty thirty five. That is important. I mean, he's talked underneath that those broad um, goals to uh, provide renewable energy credits to providers and developers. So that's important. He's talked about labor standards. I don't know what that exactly will mean, but could have some implications for the solar industry. The first thing to note, though, is is personnel is is policy. So who Biden picks is very important. If there's a big stimulus package, who ends up leading the Department of Energy, for instance, will oversee how much of that stim- stimulus is implemented, whether it goes to innovation, deployment, all of the above. So watching who goes in there, perhaps, you know, former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm's been talked about, Jay Inslee, Aruna Jumdar, former RPE. Uh, so that'll be important. So watch for personnel. Uh, the next thing is, of course, the stimulus. We've been all hearing about a green stimulus package, Build Back Better under Biden. I think more than one stimulus package, everything I'm hearing is that It'll be more like climate and clean energies infused throughout a bunch of other bills. So look for like an infrastructure bill that would have grid modernization as part of it and other kinds of incentives and things, not some one Green New Deal, as I think sometimes we start talking about in the media. So and the Trump scenario, just a quick synopsis of that. As you noted, solar uh, is unstoppable. I think the private industry will continue to operate. And uh, so we also have China, Japan and South Korea now coming out with uh, net zero goals. So like the incentives there, like in the stimulus broadly is to, you know, keep moving ahead. I think the question is just that what the pace and scale is of private sector activity. How much can they do on their own? We are still in an economic recession, so we could still see another shoe to drop there. Uh, The final thing I'll say is the states will continue. Just today, the Arizona Corporation Commission voted in favor of acquiring utilities to be 100% carbon-free by 2050 with a 50% renewable energy target in the interim. This has to go to a final vote. But stuff like that will continue happening. So we'll talk about more about solar tariffs and manufacturing later, but I think those are some of the highlights. Got it. It's, uh, it's a lot. I appreciate that. From an industry perspective, Biden seems to have captured significant voter enthusiasm around clean energy. And you know, notably, I think most people in the industry are aware of clean energy for Biden. Uh, even if you're not in the Biden camp, you're, you're certainly aware that that's out there. And there's been 10,000 volunteers that have joined and they've raised, I think, $3 million as of the beginning of, of this week. Um, at the end of the last debate, Trump seemed to pounce on the comment that Vice President Biden made related to the transition away from an oil and carbon-based fuel economy. And he, they really tried to make it like it was a Biden gaffe. I think in thinking about this, it seemed like a political, a calculated political statement. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I feel like that uh, charge against Biden has sort of fallen flat, largely because of the work that the private sector is doing. I don't think the drama that there was around coal in 2016 is, is quite there as much. The industry has changed a lot in just the four years. So it's not really like sticking to Biden. Also, you know, he said he, he won't do outright bans on, on fossil fuels. And 
Uh, I think that's important to know. Mind you, his policies will result in a decline in fossil fuel use. So I think the industry, the fossil fuel industry is watching that. But even they don't seem to be entirely like phased by it. They know the transitions are coming. Again, we mentioned China, South Korea, Japan. It's not like you can escape this, even if the U.S., you know, doesn't fully embrace the transition at the at the highest levels. But you mentioned clean energy for Biden. Um, it's a super interesting group. The fact that there is this industry-centered organization, not just climate activists, I think is really important because a lot of the work after Election Day will be, it's the tricky doing, right? And so to have people collaborating on how they would do it and who would do the work, again, personnel being policy, I think is is interesting. And it shows that I think the Democratic Party has realized they don't need to shy away from clean energy and, and climate more broadly, that it pulls really well, there's money to be made. And in fact, if they lean into it, it could actually work out really well for them. So again, Pennsylvania has been a hot button issue in this election, but fracking actually is, is opposed by a majority of Pennsylvanians. People don't necessarily realize that. And it's a testament to how well clean energy is doing and the opportunities people see in it. Yeah, you can almost appreciate the demographics of why Trump and Biden both said what they did and, and tried to politicize it. If you're on the ground in Texas, you know, oil and gas, and you've watched your job maybe dwindle in the last six months or a year, you certainly understand the, the political math of, of why it's trying to be politicized. Uh, you know, last week on this uh, industry poll segment, I had an opportunity to speak with Ken Lachlan, who's really looking at this from a macro perspective. He's involved in asset management um, from a fund perspective. And he just made the fundamental point that the economics of solar stand on their own, and it really doesn't matter what happens on the policy front uh, as it relates to solar adoption. At what point do you think we no longer become a politicized industry and people just recognize it on both the right and the left for its broad bipartisan support and job creation? I think a lot of people in clean energy in the industry don't necessarily want to get caught up in climate politics. They don't necessarily have to. There are some different lanes here, but I think energy is inherently political and policy oriented. Just the utility business model makes it that way in part. Um, all energy is subsidized to some degree. So I think that we may move away from individual spats over like tax credits or maybe net metering battles. We'll get to 2.0s on a lot of these discussions. But writ large, you need policy to direct private sector investment. There's no world in which the private sector does this alone. And as long as there are incumbents, there will be policy discussions and those will get politicized, partially because of lack of information. I don't think Americans even realize how many jobs are in solar today. Like that's something that the industry probably wants to talk about more because you know, the average person doesn't necessarily realize that. Um, but uh, but yes, I think you can't fully escape uh, escape the politics and the policies, but hopefully education improves it. Getting money out of politics would help. But uh, uh, I, I like the idea that we'll move away from politics and policy. It feels nice, but I don't know that it will happen. Yeah, yeah. well, that's a fair point and, and certainly some, some charged comments there. I, I'm thinking as you're talking, LG just did a consumer study uh, with Harris Poll. It, it was run over the summer on consumer opinions of solar um, and we found that overwhelmingly people like solar. They want to adopt solar. And I, I have to wonder from a policy calculation standpoint, you know, solar is great because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, but that's also a curse of it is it's on rooftops and people don't generally see it. But as it becomes more tangible and people see it more and more in their community, do you think that changes any of the political math? And as people know more and more people firsthand that work in the industry, does that help policy? 
110%. I mean, I think that's why there's momentum around it. Huge bipartisan support for clean energy. Things like Jonathan Scott, who's an HGTV and home renovation uh, you know, celebrity, just had a documentary come out on rooftop solar. Stuff like that mainstreams it in a way that I think is really valuable to the industry and certainly people seeing more of it is helpful. Uh, I know we're running low on time. So Brian, I'm going to hog the mic and turn it back to you because this is usually my job is asking the questions. And I wanted to ask you about um, how important domestic manufacturing is in the context of federal support, because that's something we talked a lot about uh, with the Trump administration and putting tariffs in place. But I'm curious from your perspective, do you see a, a, a reboot happening there? You know, it's interesting. I'm deeply involved in the policy side from LG's perspective. And something that, that we've heard over the last years, we've been advocating for an extension of the ITC and direct pay conversions and all the things that support the broader industry, is there's a China problem from a policy standpoint. Right now, whether it's a Trump administration or potentially a Biden administration, this idea that we're exporting taxpayer money to support a Chinese economy that's by every kind of metric predatory from a manufacturing standpoint has created this issue within the industry and, and policy to support it. And there's been a renaissance, right? Hanwha's uh, factory in Georgia, LG's factory in Alabama. You know, there is now, I think, five gigawatts of module manufacturing capacity. There's a large polysilicon manufacturing capacity. And I think the industry, you know, SIA just did a great job publishing a white paper on manufacturing. The SIA has to embrace the idea that it's not just developer and installation jobs, that there is manufacturing jobs, durable manufacturing jobs that have a lot of political goodwill behind them. And as an industry, we shouldn't ignore that those are valuable jobs from a political math standpoint. Great. Well, I think we've highlighted a lot here and so much is yet to be determined. I think everyone's got eyes on a stimulus being the cornerstone of a lot of what we talked about today. Regardless of who wins, we'll need a stimulus. Uh, so Brian, it's been fun to join you. Yeah, thanks for joining as well, Julia. I sent it back to, uh, to Nico in the, in the studio. So good to welcome a couple of guests here today to give a little more uh, amplification to the idea that voting is our civic duty. I can't tell you how, not only, you know, if, if you think Brian is starstruck, I'm sitting here watching that segment and just loving every single piece of what Brian yeah. and Julia are unpacking. We've got Ann Gagliotti, CEO of Groundwork, and Christian Rosalind joining us. He's the managing editor at RMI. Great to see you guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Nico. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we wanted to take a moment to talk about the broader industry. There is some, you know, the, there's a lot of folks saying, well, you know, it's three days left. What can we do? So, Anne, you and I have been talking a lot about this. You're a CEO of a small business that has a big impact in our industry. And I'd love to hear your perspective on how you're approaching this with your team and with your with your community. Yeah. So a little bit about groundwork. You know, we provide reference solar data sets to the utility scale solar industry. Um, I love what Brian said, like helping make solar unstoppable, right, is our is our absolute goal. Um, but today I'm here as a proud California corporation. We're women owned and led um, and we're passionate about saving the planet. Um, we have uh, 57 high quality jobs 
And uh, we've added 43 since the last election. I had us pull up that data. So, Amazing. I mean, it, it's it's the story that should be published and heard around the world, right? Um, mm. We joined the Civic Alliance, um, and, and they're 100% in uh, for democracy campaign, um, which the, the goal of it is to inspire, um, for businesses to inspire employees and customers to participate in civic life. Um, as part of that, we helped, you know, every staff member who needed help make a plan to vote. Um, we encouraged um, them voting at every opportunity. We held a Zoom happy hour over Slack, email, make sure that people know how to get to the polls. And then uh, importantly, we're just offering paid time off, you know, whether you want to volunteer as a poll worker or you want um, to vote. And part of what I like to say, too, is take some paid time off to learn about the candidates. And in California, we have so many ballot propositions. You need to learn about the ballot propositions so that you can be prepared to, to be an informed voter and not a misinformed voter. So uh, so that's uh, you know, that was our strategy. I promoted it on LinkedIn um, and a little bit on our other social media outlets. Um, but, you know, what you asked me, what to, what to do today, Nico, um, if I don't I don't care if you're busy. I know we're all busy, all you CEOs out there. Um, but if you have a solar business, if it's in Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, um, you know, send an email, give your staff time off to vote, make sure your field teams are voting, right? We, yeah. we, run, we run field crews all across the country um, every week. So making sure they could get their vote, get their ballot and get it in um, before election day, because it's a really important election. So yeah, I'm looking for uh, a, a web page, actually, that our friend Lauren Glickman sent to me because I asked her the question that I asked Christian, how do I actually affect change? Does it even matter? Like, do I talk to my Democrats? Do I talk to my Republican family? And Christian said, no, 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 Nico, you're missing the whole point of this. You can't change people's minds. You can only get the people to the ballots that haven't voted or have decided so they're true. not going to. Christian, tell me more. <laughs> okay, great. Well, first off, I'm Christian Rosalind, Editorial Director of RMI, but I'm, I'm not speaking on behalf of RMI today. RMI is a nonpartisan, nonpolitical think tank, you know, that definitely uh, works in areas that are affected by policy. But, you know, as a private citizen, and as all of us who work there are, you know, I, of course, am politically active, and I've worked on a number of campaigns over the year. And, it's, and it was really interesting to talk to Nico because it brought back one of the, one of the truths about political campaigns, and that is you're often not going to win by changing people, a lot of people's minds. Yes, there is, a, there is a part of that. But the way that political campaigns, the more important tactical movement to win a campaign is to get people to the polls to have them vote. And that's how a lot of campaigns are structured. You know, this year, as again, as a private citizen, I can't, I've volunteered for political campaigns in Rhode Island, where I live. And, you know, we're out knocking doors and canvassing. We stand back. 10 feet and wear masks and do all of that. But, uh, you know, when we find doors of people that are hostile, we just mark them off. You know, okay, we won't visit those people again. Other, you know, you're out to find the people. Your primary interest is finding the supporters and then mobilizing them. So I think that that's something people need to understand about how races are won, is that so much of it is about mobilizing your supporters. Because, yeah. you know, you can be very popular, but if you're you know, you, your positions can be popular, but if your people don't get to the polls, you're not going to win. <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, we've got this obligation, civic duty to vote. You guys are doing amazing things to help your team. And there, you gave some great ideas for how others could think about supporting their team. But let's be real. Like when you get to when, when we get to, to Wednesday, uh, there are some fundamental political realities we have to deal with. And, and obviously, solar po- policies fuel growth. What is it going to mean to groundwork to have lower business uncertainty versus other types of policy yeah. that, that, come to, that come to play? How are you seeing this, like, the long-term view? Yeah, I mean, to Christian's point, I, I felt the exact same way. Like, I can't convince, you know, people in my life that are going to vote for a certain way. But but if you if you look at solar policy and climate policy, and if you look at all of us, there's a lot of us. Um, so getting them to the polls is important. So I, I, I just echo what Christian said. Um, I view, you know, I view, uh, you know, the, the federal leadership, you know, from as a business owner, in addition to being a solar voter. And you, it is imperative to have stable business business conditions and low uncertainty. I mean, we deliver low uncertainty data sets. You know, you need low uncertainty economic conditions to have a good good growing business. And so whether it's trade wars or how you're managing a global pandemic, um, you need a plan and you need to make sure that, you know, that financially sound and growing companies can have access to credit so they can grow. And the first thing you see, you know, get pulled back. And I saw it this summer with credit cards. You know, I run, as I said, a field services business. So we, we have staff all over the country using credit cards. The banks immediately came back and cut our lines on our credit card lines. And it's not because my financials are not strong. It's because it's because they're they're hoarding cash for themselves. So, so, you know, so, so that's, that's the first great reason, you know, to cast a ballot for, you know, for somebody that's got a plan for how to manage the economy and stable trade policies. The second thing is healthcare. And I think it is the most pro-business thing to have healthcare in the hands of other people than small businesses. My healthcare, I've been in business for 11 years. The health, I offer 100% paid healthcare and four weeks of paid leave. So that is a tax on my business. And, and so effectively, I actually went and calculated it because I'm such a financial wonk. That's an 18% tax on my business this year. So, so it's a huge administrative burden in addition to being a tax. And so we need to vote for candidates that have a plan for healthcare, that are going to use the government's buying power um, to reduce cost. On an earlier segment, uh, they were talking about using the government's buying power for uh, EV charging, right? You know, same thing is true with healthcare. Government has buying power. And, uh, and then, you know, that'll get improved coverage and get more people covered, right? And then, you know, the last thing, Nico, is, you know, I've been, you know, at this for a while now, and it's like how to be a good leader, right? And to be a good leader, you have to strive every day to be the best human you can be, right? And because that's that's it, right? So yeah. you can't lead. You have to be trustworthy. You have to be caring. You know, I don't think that's just a a, a woman-owned business saying that. I think you have to be a caring leader, and uh, and so and then you have to rely on experts. Uh, you know, groundwork was founded on on science and data, yeah. and uh, and that stuff really matters. And uh, and so you know, so I just I just feel like that's you need to look at look at the candidates and make sure you you ha- see the qualities in them that you you know want your children to have. And and so every 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 chance you get when you look at those candidates, you should put it through that lens. 
Um, and then I got one more thing to say. So, but I, you want to go back to Christian? I bet because I'm chatty today. I'm passionate that, about no, this. Right? No, that's fine. Clearly. Let's, let's yeah. take. But it's totally fine. Actually, let's take your last point. Then I'm going to go to Christian. And then we're going to have to have to All wrap right, this we'll segment. Wrap it up. Okay. The last thing I have to say is, and we were talking about it. Julie was talking about it. You know, if we can get an economic stimulus package in this next, you know, after this election, think about the DOE and the TARP in 2008. What got this party started? Zero gigawatts to fifty gigawatts. Yeah. Since since the tarp in you know in two thousand eight. So so, so you know what what was what was keeping it going um, before that was the national labs. They are truly a treasure for this country and should be well funded. The Na- National Renewable Energy Laboratory, the Sandia National Labs, they both benefit my business. I know they benefit my customers' businesses. We all rely on them. And to see them defunded over the course of the past four years is just deplorable. So, um, so I'll close with that. I think I've said that. <laughs> Fair enough. It's uh, I. I am really fascinated to hear the the thought process that you've gone through, and it's really helpful to hear your perspective, Christian. As I've said in the outset, you really helped me reframe not only my contribution but the importance of focusing on not just the national election. Can you talk a little bit as we round this out about down ballot and the importance of the local market? I'm here in North Carolina, battleground state. Uh, Others are in Pennsylvania and other places, Texas, Michigan, Wisconsin. How important is down ballot and what do you have to think, how can you help us think about that? Oh my God, it's always been important. And and quickly to your point, and I think it's also would be great if our national labs could operate free of undue federal influence and interference in their work, in case you've read some of the things that Peter Fairley has published Absolutely. lately yeah. Investigate West. But anyway, back to the down ballots. Yeah, they're extremely important. I mean, look, whether or not we get any sort of meaningful climate and energy policy is going to depend a lot on the Senate. Right now, the Republicans have a three-seat majority. That majority is deeply in question, and these Senate races are extremely important for the kind of energy policy that we're going to have, you know, for the, and right now we're in the decisive decade. This is the decade where we've got to address climate change and we can't afford to lose any more years if we're going to try to keep things below 1.5 C. So, you know, the Senate is critical there. Uh, I can't say there, this is not to say that we're, you know, that if either party wins, we're going to get the exact wish list that we want through the Senate. It's also important to pay attention to who's sitting in those seats, because mm-hmm. uh, the ranking member of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee has not exactly been a big fan of clean energy. But, you know, that's just looking at the U.S. Senate. When you talk about the state level, if we look at where so much of the renewable energy policy has happened in the United States, it's happened at the state level. Renewable portfolio standards put on the majority of the wind and solar that we've gotten to date. They, they were fundamental. Net metering policies, these things happen at the state level. You know, so while things like the IPC and the PTC and the trade rules are very important, the state policies have been absolutely fundamental for this industry. And, you know, in order for that to happen, we need to be engaged at the state level. I mean, I, I live, again, I live in Rhode Island, which has been very interesting this year because we had a, what I would describe as a conservative Democratic leadership in the state house, not really excited about passing a lot of ambitious climate and clean energy policies. Uh, but this year we've had an insurgent group of progressives who won a lot of seats and who are now threatening the leadership of both houses. 
Uh, there's there's going to be leadership battles in both of them. And all of these, you know, this group, Rhode Island Political Cooperative and some of the other groups, they've all pledged to implement a Green New Deal. So we could see some real change in, you know, in this little state, this little one million person state, uh, based upon people really paying attention and really focusing on and mobilizing on these state level races. But of course, this is just Rhode Island. Similar things are happening in other states. You know, and whether or not we get the kind of ambitious policies that are really going to bring us forward, a lot of this is going to depend on state level action. I mean, it would have been great if we would have had federal leadership this whole time. But, uh, you know, under either party, it's not like we've really had the kind of ambitious policies happen at the federal level that we have at the state level. Look at the 100 percent clean energy movement. That's not something that's ever been really on the table at the federal level. That's something that's happened at the states. Started with Hawaii, California, New Mexico, uh, Washington. You know, it, this is these are these are the policies that are going to really move us towards complete decarbonization of the electricity sector. And they're state level policies, and they require people to be engaged in state level races. So, you know, get educated, find out who's on the ballot, and get engaged. Hint of passion and education there from Christian Rosalind. Christian, you are one of the folks that I think brings the most passion and insight to these topics. Uh, last 15 seconds for each of you, resources that you would direct folks to if they still don't know what to do. Yeah, uh, I'm a voter.org has all the information to find polling places and to um, to make sure you're registered and get out to vote. Um, you know, I think that's the most important um, uh, thing I would recommend. Um, Christian? Well, that's, I, you know, I'm a voter.org sounds like better resources than I've been sending people to. I mean, there's obviously <laughs> Secretary yeah. of State websites that'll yeah. give you a lot of information. But if, you know, if you, if you really want to get engaged on the issues, this is a full-time job. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. And and I'll tell you, there are folks like you and our friend Lauren uh, and, and others that I've talked to who are phone banking, etc. I don't know if there's a bar- bipartisan platform, but mobilize.us, certainly yeah. for those Democrats. I'm a voter.org can... is, is nonpartisan. So ah, perfect. Just, yeah. There you go. Fantastic. That's cool. that's the answer we were looking for. <laughs> and Gagliotti, CEO of Groundwork, Christian Rosalind, managing editor at RMI. Thank you so much for joining us here in studio. We're going to go now to Danielle Denko. I'll wave goodbye to you all for a moment. Bye. Thanks. Yep. So last but certainly not least, as we round out what have been a fantastic seven weeks of this year's Solar Power International, we and we're doing this live. My co-host Josh Porter is having issues in Maui. Who knows why he can't join? But we are going to bring in uh, my close friend here, Danielle Danko from Solar Energy Trade Show. Sorry, Alex, I'm doing your job for you. Danielle, good to see you. Good to see you again, Nico. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's always a pleasure. It has been a whirlwind seven weeks. I can't imagine what it was like for you all putting the show on. Don't know if you have a few words that you'd like to say just about sort of the wrap up of the seven weeks of the first virtual conference you pulled off, with, which I'll say kudos. But, but also, why don't you take a moment and just paint a picture for us for what the future looks like? I, I appreciate that, Nico. And I think everyone on the SETS team is kind of breathing a sigh of relief. We had a lot of fun. Um, it was definitely a new territory for us, I think, as any event organizer will tell you. Um, we got to do a lot of different things. Um, and we definitely are going to continue having a virtual aspect to all of our in-person events moving forward. We know that not everyone's going to be comfortable traveling. Um, and who knows what this post-COVID role is going to look like for the next 
two, three, you know, five, however many years. Um, but it's, it's been a lot of fun, uh, but I think it's time to focus on the future. It is indeed. So we've got not only we've got the virtual trade show that goes through the end of the year. I feel like there's some folks that are kind of like, what does that mean? Is there a plan? And then what do we got for 2021? Yeah, really, really good question. So the virtual trade show itself, where you can visit with exhibitors, is available through the end, through the end of the year. And we're actually going to have another live day on December 1st where the exhibitors will be online. I forget the hours. I think they're one to three, but TBD and check out um, an email from us. Um, where the exhibitors will be online and you'll be able to chat with them as well. And all the microconference content and any of the educational content that was live last week is also going to be online through the end of the year. So if you didn't, if you missed some of it or you just want to watch it again, you can definitely view that. And then I think we have a really exciting 2021 coming up with some in-person events. Um, and you can tell I'm excited because we're going to be in person. Um, this is, we just finalized this today. We're actually taking SPI on the road. We're going to do smaller, more intimate road shows. Um, it'll be outdoors. It'll be um, socially distanced. So if you're, if you feel safe a little bit, maybe like a farmer's market, this would definitely be the venue for you. Um, the exhibitors will be capped. We'll make sure that, you know, it feels very safe, but we'll be following the weather. So starting in warmer places like Florida, California, and then kind of moving through the United States. Um, so watch out for that. Um, we've got Texas coming up in May, a couple more regionals, and then um, SPI is in New Orleans next year, which we're so excited about. <laughs> We got it. There we go, guys. He's, I'm back. He's, he's back. <laughs> Welcome. He's back. That's a that's a little bit of a Maui bandwidth for you, there, folks. I uh, apologize for that, but I'm glad I was able to jump back in. Absolutely. I thought Josh was going to say, "What about Hawaii?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, maybe it's time. You know, it's. Nothing's impossible, Josh, especially Hawaii, <laughs> and especially and especially for the coaster. Well, Danielle, it's been uh, it's been fantastic to see uh, how you all have been able to roll with the punches. Uh, we've all been dealt uh, a, a, an interesting hand this year, and it's going to be a really interesting year next year. I'm for sure looking forward to New Orleans. What are the? Do you have on mind the exact dates for next year for those who I, are? Yeah, I do. They're September uh, 20th or 23rd. I hope I'm right. <laughs> 20th to 23rd. All right. So yeah, it's going to be back. It's going to be towards the end of September again. Fantastic. Great time to be yeah. in New Orleans. At least it's not in February. Absolutely. Josh, I, I wanted to see if you had anything else for Danielle as well. You got a chance to participate in ways that I didn't in, uh, in this year's conference. And we're going to be hopefully collaborating on a whole lot more stuff coming up. Yeah, really looking forward to that, Nico. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I got to tell you, it was a really interesting experience doing the Solar Coaster Live Series this uh, this year over seven weeks. And yeah, in the upcoming period, I'm looking forward to obviously getting back to a little bit of face to face. But I do think that there's something interesting in what we've learned in this process. So, you know, what's that interaction look like, perhaps, with all the things that have grown through the virtual, uh, what we've learned in this virtual kind of world, right? Because you could really have a much bigger audience. And there are certain things that you can do in the virtual world that you can't do in the real world. I mean, you know, we, we kind of picked up on a few of those, too. So I'm excited to see how that hybrid thing works forward. That's awesome. And we, we are too. We're, it's, it's evolved so much over the last, what, six or eight months. So I think the next 
six months to a year is going to bring a lot more evolution. And I think it's a fun time for the event industry. 100%. 100%. It absolutely is. I can't wait to get out of this yellow box and go see <laughs> all of you. Go see all of you again. Well, we've had uh, a lot of things happening. One of those really interesting things is our drone giveaway. So in, on behalf of IDMATEC, one of our sponsors, I want to remind everyone that you can join the On the Horizon drone giveaway, which today is the last day. Get that DJI Mavic Pro. If you don't know how, go to mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. Today's the last day, Friday, October 30th. Enter to win, and we'll be announcing the winner on Monday. So just ahead of the elections, you'll be able to fly your drone around to video all the chaos. All right. Now, as we come into, look at that. I love it. Josh doesn't have a virtual background anymore. We actually have Hawaii in the background. I love it. Um, well, it has been a, a phenomenal time, Danielle. Uh, I want to extend our sincere gratitude to your team for all that you have done for uh, helping get the weekly wrap up, uh, get the weekly roundup together, supporting the solar coaster, supporting Suncast. Uh, and we look forward to being able to do the podcast lounge and so many other fun things as we see each other around the world. Now, before we go, I just want to uh, give a few more thank yous. We've got not only Smart Energy Week and all of the folks from SEPA, SIA, Solar Coaster, and our giveaway sponsor, Idematech. Of course, we've got LG, who so graciously sponsored, and all of our guests. For all of you who participated in helping us bring this show to life, we are so, so grateful. One other last thank you to Glenda Johnson, our co-host who couldn't be here with us for the last two weeks. And, uh, you know, to Josh, my, my, my co-host, my solar brother, and to Danielle, our counterpart over at Sets. From all of us to all of you, the viewers, we really wouldn't have a show without you. So we're internally grateful. Danielle, any final words to the viewers? Uh, Nico, I just want to say thank you to you and your team and Josh to you guys as well. You have helped make this virtual space way easier to navigate and we appreciate the partnership with both of you. So thank you so much. And we hope to see everyone in person very safely, of course, in 2021. Mahalo, Josh. Mahalo, Danielle. To everyone else, thank you for your time. Thank you for your uh, attention. And we will see you next time. That's a wrap on this conversation, Warrior. But I do hope that we'll see you back here on Thursday for this week's long-form interview. I also encourage you to check out other episodes of Suncast and let me know what you think of these shorter-form discussions. Do you want more like this? We've got hundreds of episodes, resources, and highlights from these discussions, along with the social media links for each episode guest, book recommendations, and so much more over at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly tribe-exclusive emails or even joining our exclusive inner circle of infinite learners and clean economy champions we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I do so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. And a special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, as well as learn more about becoming a sponsor if that's something that you're interested in. You can follow the links there as well to any of the offers that we've discussed about any of our sponsors here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>